trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, this is the place. This is where we gather to revel in wrong think. And one of the great sponsors who makes this possible is lifesavingfood.com. You'll find a link in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com joins me as we do each week at this time. Eric, how are you today? I'm good, and I'm still unmasked, but here we go again. It looks like uh, both Los Angeles and I think New York City also are getting ready to reimpose the indoor mask mandates because they worked so well the last time. You know, I think you were one of the early ones to call it out for what it is, and that is it, it has become a sort of religion. And, and the fervor with which this uh, religion goes out there and proselytizes and, and damns to hell those who don't embrace its tenets, it's, it's pretty eerie. Yeah, I call it the, the the Church of Holy Cognitive Dissonance. I was watching um, J.P. Sears this morning. You probably know J.P. Uh, he does oh, yeah. these really great humorous riffs on, riffs on all the tyranny. And he was uh, discussing this uh, this other guy who'd gone up to New York and was interviewing people in the city uh, about my body, my choice. And he would approach them and say, so how do you feel about my body, my choice? And, of course, this was in the context of the abortion thing. And uh, they were vehemently and vociferously for their choice to kill their baby. But then he said, well, how about those vaccine mandates? And and that immediately instilled this this just like emotional diarrhea laced with profanities from these people uh, because they're unable to logically compute it. You know, so they just begin to short circuit. You can almost see the steam rising from their head. Wow. Unreal. Now, I have to laugh. I I saw a T-shirt in the store yesterday that actually made me chuckle, and it had a big danger, you know, black and red placard danger, and then under it it said, unvaccinated human being, and I was like, right on. (laughs) I've I've got one that's like that that's actually even more um, uh, abbreviated. I'm wearing it right now. It's a T-shirt somebody sent me, and it simply says in big black, black letters, no. (laughs) What could he possibly mean by that? <laughs> oh, man. And people love it. You know, I wear it as often as I can, and I get all kinds of favorable comments, including about a week, a week or so ago, I was walking into the uh, the grocery store, and this little old lady, you know, she gave me the thumbs up and said, that's right, no, no more of this. Well, it's, you know, I think it was predictable that the people who gained power and, and gained control from, from the lockdowns, the mandates, they're going to be very loath to turn that uh, that power loose. I think the bigger question, Eric, is how many of the, the people in the public are going to go along with it? Because I'm thinking their numbers of support, uh, you know, as for, for these policies has got to be waning. Yeah, well, we're going to find out, I think. Uh, I think it's, pr- I'd probably put it at, a, I don't know, 90% likelihood that as we get into fall and they start drumming the, the cases, the cases again, that they're going to attempt to do this once more. And it will be very interesting to see how many people go along with it this time as opposed to the last time. Uh, and I don't know. You know, I think a lot of people will, uh, but I also think a lot of people won't. And last time if that had happened, if a lot of people, by which I mean, I don't know, 15 or 20 percent of the people just steadfastly said no, like my T-shirt, I think we could have put, put a halt to all this. And I'm hoping that that's what's going to happen if we have to deal with this again. 
No, I'm I'm with you on this, and I I know for some people that sounds very radical. How could you guys be so you know insensitive and so forth? But the truth of the matter is. You don't need to go out there and be violent in the streets. You don't need to burn down your neighborhood. You don't need to go lobby Congress or even your state legislature necessarily. All you have to be willing to do is enough people need to say no and mean it. And this stuff stops in its tracks. Yes, and it's got nothing to do with sensitivity. I really get my back up at that because it's this is an evil thing. You know, it's no longer uh, a question of, well, we got to try what we have to try in order to stop the spread and all of that. We know perfectly well that this is kabuki theater. There's abundant evidence that masking did nothing but to demoralize people and to pave the way for even worse things, like these coercive jabs that they've been trying to get everybody to take. So the time is to not be sensitive to this at all. The time is to be sensitive to our liberty and to protect it. And I think that's uh, a far more valuable thing than to pretend that this is legitimate in any way, because it's not. Here, here. You know, I, I noticed and I wanted to get your reaction. Uh, Dr. Fauci's announcing, well, you know, I think I'll probably retire uh, at the end of yeah. uh, Joe Biden's term. Um, I'm thinking, gee, is he is he really has he done all the good that there is to do? Or is he thinking, boy, when the regime changes, um, I'm going to be sitting in a Nuremberg type tribunal answering for all the stuff I've done? Well, if he's not in a nursing home, you know, one of the facets of this that, that goes beyond even the, the COVID hysteria, this man is 80 years old and he's still feeding off the public teat. He's been feeding off the public teat for how long? At least 40 years. And at what point do these people uh, have to be uh, kicked out of their sinecures and stop feeding off the teat? Wasn't there at one point some kind of a, uh, a mandatory retirement age for federal bureaucrats? You know, I'm going to have to look into this. I, I thought that they had to leave when they turned 65, and this guy's 15 years past that. Well, I'm sure that's true for normal people, but uh, Eric, we're talking about a guy who embodies science. So I'm sure he'll get at least a yeah. couple more fawning magazine covers and the like, you know, before he's allowed to be put out to pasture. Yeah, and of course, again, nobody says anything about the fact that this multi-jab, double mask wearing guy has gotten the Rona, what, twice now, at least? Yeah. He's admitted to. And, and there's no there's no irony there. It's it's just, it's, it's almost stultifying that people don't respond to that. And say, well, okay, I guess that's pretty clear evidence that these vaccines, as they're called, and these masks do absolutely nothing. So why are we continuing to pretend that they do? It's, it's sad to me that we don't get to ask questions, too. And I understand this is a very painful topic, but this whole sudden ad- adult death syndrome uh, where, yeah. where perfectly healthy people are dropping dead or otherwise finding their athletic careers ended, you know, because their lungs no longer work. And, you know, we're, we're simply not allowed to ask, hey, could uh, the injections that everybody's been getting, could that have anything to do with this? Yeah, but the word is spreading. I was reading a story the other day. I, I can't remember the guy's name because I really don't follow sports that much. But I think it was the Philadelphia Phillies. I um, hope I'm right about that. And I think it was their catcher who uh, refused to travel. Well, who refused. He couldn't travel to, with his team into Canada to right. uh, play, I think it was the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, so you know about this. Yes. Because he wasn't going to put his health at risk. He said something like, you know, I'm a 31-year-old professional athlete. I don't feel any need uh, to take these so-called vaccines. He didn't say so-called, but, you know, you got the message. And, and I think that, that is, that's kind of permeating, particularly in, in pro athletics. These guys who are at the peak of their game, literally and physically, uh, they're seeing people that they know personally having problems as a result of this. And I think it's also the same for airline pilots and, uh, and people in the military. They are seeing it right in front of their faces, the actual signs, not the Fauci signs, and giving them pause as it ought to. You know, you see somebody getting hurt from doing something, and you're 
going to probably think to yourself, you know what, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe I shouldn't do it either. Yeah, it's uh, and and I I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but Djokovic or uh, the you know the tennis player. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you've been following, to go to I think it's Wimbledon. Yes, and he, and he that's it. He can't go to Wimbledon. Yep. On the one hand, I admire his courage. Someone had asked him, a reporter said, well, you realize you could be passing up a chance to be known as the greatest tennis player ever known Mm -hmm. because you're refusing to get vaccinated. And his answer was, Mm -hmm. my body's autonomy and my ability to retain that authority over my own body is more important to me than than the title greatest tennis player in the world. And they were incredulous. Yeah, I know. And also his health. You know, whatever your job is, whatever money you're making, none of it is worth a tinker's damn if you've lost your health, let alone your life. Agreed. And, and you know, the other part of this, and this is the part that disturbs me, is the amount of anger and, and the lust to punish this guy. This, this scoff law, you know, they, it's like he's, mm-hmm. he's being blamed for, you know, the current spike in, in Singapore and, and in New Zealand where mm-hmm. so many people are vaccinated, everybody's masked, and yet the virus continues to, to spike and hospitalizations and cases, you know, continue to rise. Mm-hmm. Why can't they make the connection? Well, there's a low viciousness there, I think. It's, it's of a piece with the, uh, the person who's, let's say, in prison. And let's say it's an unjust prison, a political prison, let's say. And one of the inmates figures out how to dig a tunnel and, and get out. But uh, instead of cheering him, there's another prisoner in the next cell who resents the fact that this guy's going to get his freedom. And so he squeals and lets the guards know, oh, look, that guy's getting away. Uh, and I think that that same kind of a base psychological motive is operative here. I think these people think that, well, I was forced to surrender my bodily autonomy. I was forced to take the risk of this quack scene. So, therefore, everybody else has to also. It's it's crabs in a bucket. If one tries to get mm-hmm. out, the rest pull him right back in. That's exactly it. And I can think of few things that are more base and low and degraded for a human being uh, to do than that, You know, rather than the, the human thing, which would be to go right on. That's great, even if you yourself. Uh, can't get away to see one of your fellow men getting away should be cause for celebration, uh, not uh, an attempt to make them as miserable as you are. I think you have just uh, you've just outlined what a person who understands liberty would would say, you know, when they see someone escaping the clutches of uh, tyranny. Mm-hmm. Hold that thought. We're going to continue. We've got some more important stuff to discuss with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. There is a link in the show notes at thebrianheitshow.com. I hope you'll click on it. Go to his website. Enjoy the columns. Enjoy the comments. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. Eric, something happened over the weekend that was uh, tragic and yet also remarkable. And it was uh, uh, another shooting, this time at a mall in Indiana. But this one was stopped by an armed citizen who just happened to be where the need was for someone to be able to stop a shooter. And here's Mm -hmm. the part that blows me away. It was a 22-year-old kid. No police training, mm-hmm. no military training, just a good, responsible young man who uh, who stopped someone with murderous intent and did it quickly. And and to the credit of the authorities there, normally, you know, sometimes they'll kind of ham and haw about, well, now, really, that's our job. But they have been unequivocal yeah. in saying this young man saved numerous lives. 
Yeah, and I think that uh, I just want to riff a little bit on what you just said about him being a young man rather than a kid. I think it's important to recognize that people that age at one time were considered young men and young women and not children in need of parenting. This kid clearly was responsible and behaved like a man in a very difficult situation. It takes a lot of guts to do what he did, and he should be lauded for what he did. You know, citizen protectors like that can be everywhere, whereas uh, police cannot. And responsible stewardship of guns is why places that have uh, lots of gun owners who are responsible are low crime areas. You know, the rural areas, like the area where I live, where I guess everybody around here has multiple firearms. And wouldn't you know it, there's virtually no gun crime around here. I wonder why that could be. Hmm. It's almost like it's a hostile working environment for criminals. Sure. And I think that the people on the other side are well aware of that. We were talking a little bit off the air about a parallel incident that happened up in New York a couple of weeks ago where an older guy, he looked like he was probably in his 50s or 60s, uh, was in a store and he was accosted by a much younger guy, who was much bigger than he was, armed with a knife and defended himself against this person and shot him. And it's the most clear, unequivocal case of self-defense that I've ever seen. It's on video. There's no nuance. There's no way to, to interpret it other than, okay, well, what was he supposed to do? Just sit there and let himself be stabbed. Anyway, the prosecutors in New York are going after this guy eventually and have charged him not merely with manslaughter, but with, with second-degree murder. In other words, conveying the, the message that self-defense is illegal in their minds, that you are supposed to just... Uh, supinely let yourself be killed rather than attempt to defend your life. Yeah, that's that's pretty chilling. And and I agree. New York, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of outrage from the people who've wondered, why did this prosecutor set such an excessively high bail? I think he wanted $250,000 mm-hmm. bail, um, sent the mm-hmm. guy to Rikers Island to be held because they felt like he was a risk. And yet uh, mm-hmm. you look at the criminals that uh, were released in the name of, well, you know, the prison, the prisons are crowded and COVID is dangerous. We should probably let them go. I don't know. Sure. We're, we're reaching a point where the law no longer protects the law abiding. And to me, that seems like we're treading into a very dangerous place when, when the law no longer is, is a factor in protecting us. Then I would say that, uh, things things will likely get much more lawless and not just because people are taking advantage, but because it's a necessity if you want to protect yourself. Well, because people will have no choice. I think it's become abundantly clear whether we're talking about uh, the way uh, criminal law is handled or whether we're talking about uh, the way energy policy is handled or any policy that you can think of. Uh, these people in the government uh, are actively hostile to the interests of the people of this country. They, they seem to be deliberately bent on, uh, on, on destroying our lives, our economic lives, our liberty, and inserting us. And when you look at it through that prism, all of this makes sense. They want you to be docile, fearful, and submissive. They do not want you to take care of yourself. They don't want you to protect yourself or your family. Quite the opposite. And they're doing everything that they can to protect the interests that are opposed to that, including criminals. They want you to be the prey of a criminal. Uh, of course, I think that's because they themselves are criminals. No, I, I would agree with you. And I guess it, it underscores something that uh, hopefully more and more people are beginning to understand. Look at what happened in Uvalde. 400 police officers surrounded that yeah. school at the time that that gunman was finally taken out. And there's there's been plenty mm-hmm. of opportunity for those who have the courage to watch the video. Um, the cops standing around in the hall um, is the best illustration ever that the state will not protect you in your moment of need. Yeah, it's absolutely horrible. You know, these people, that's their single purpose. 
They were trained for this, supposedly. They're equipped for it, supposedly. And they're being paid to do it, and yet they don't do it. And, of course, the reason for that is it's not, well, it's not their life on the table. Who cares, right? It's other people's kids in that school that are being killed. Uh, and, and they don't want to put their own necks on the line for that. Whereas in the case of this, uh, this kid, I shouldn't say kid, this young man who defended people in that shopping mall, you know, potentially he was at risk. And he showed how it's supposed to be done properly. And maybe we need more of him and less of these cowardly, fearful uh, police who obsess about officer safety almost as much as some sickness psychotics obsessed about masking. No, I, I agree. And, and I have to point out to the credit of those officials in, uh, in Indiana, they uniformly said this young man did the correct thing. And they said he actually did a, he did a very admirable job in solving the problem in a timely fashion. And in fact, they actually begged the, the press, leave him alone. Give him time to yeah. process what's happened. This is this is not something that he's you know going around celebrating, but uh, he he did the right thing, and and they were just absolutely on this young man's side. Which I'm I'm sorry, you know, yeah. to the gun grabbers, that's <laughs> well, you'll never see an armed citizen stop a mass shooter. Well, <laughs> look what we just saw here. That happens all the time, though. That you know, an interesting thing that happens with regularity. There are so many cases of somebody stepping up. Remember, it was what, about two years ago, there was an attempt to shoot up a church. I think it was in Texas. And, and one of the parishioners happened to be carrying and managed to put the kibosh on that really quickly. Whereas if everybody had been disarmed, uh, lots of people in that church would have been shot to death. You know, and that's just one of many such incidents that happen pretty frequently around this country. Because thank God, uh, it's still possible in most parts of the country to be armed and to be prepared for things like this. Here, here. Anything else on your radar screen that uh, deserves keeping a closer eye on? Well, yeah, something that's pretty interesting. I wrote about this a few days ago. Uh, I titled the article Safety When Safety Isn't First. And uh, when it isn't first, it's usually because the government has some interest that it is at odds with safety. turns out that uh, uh, <clears throat> these electric self-driving cars um, that are being used as pilot programs in countries around in, in, in cities around the country uh, have lots of safety problems. And there was an attempt made to suppress data about that. And of course, the government's doing very little about it because the government is very interested in foisting uh, both electric cars and autonomous cars onto the public. So it doesn't matter that they run people over. It doesn't matter that electric cars are fire prone, uh, even when they're not being driven because of the charging issue. Uh, no worries there, but, you know, uh, if it saves even one life, then every car that's made has got to have a backup camera, <laughs> and everybody's got to pay for it, right? Absolutely. Well, I am I am less uh, sold on the, the value of elect, electric cars, and, and I think I have you to thank for this. You're the one who pointed out, look, yeah. it's, it's not a matter of, uh, you know, this is saving the, the environment. Where does the electricity come from, after all? Or what powers the electrical generators that, that create that power that charges these cars? And more often than not, the answer is, well, it's coal or natural gas. Yeah, and there's so many other issues, too. I caught a news story the other day about somebody who had bought a used electric car. And uh, after literally just a few weeks, the thing just wouldn't work anymore. And so she took it back to the place where she bought it to try to figure out what was the matter with it. And of course, it needed a new battery. And the problem there is that the cost of the battery was $14,000, and she'd only paid $11,000 for the used electric car. So, so there you go. You know, that's a very good reason to not buy an electric car. And I think that as more people uh, come face to face with what it really means to own an electric car, I think more and more people are not going to want an electric car. No, it's I don't begrudge somebody who wants to get one, but 
I remain unconvinced that it's going to do anything but make me more dependent on government and regulation and not less dependent. And for me, that's a deal breaker. Sure. And, you know, I'm not opposed to them at all, but I am opposed to this lack of due diligence. And I blame the, the media, particularly the car press, for not covering this issue honestly. You know, instead of trumpeting all the supposed benefits and pros of owning an electric car, how about explaining to people some of the cons? Because there's cons and pros with everything, you know, not just electric cars, cars generally. And I wish they would do that. All right, Eric, great to talk with you again. I've got a link to your website, ericpetersautos.com. I look forward to our conversation next week. Thanks for having me. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's take a quick minute here to thank one of my sponsors, that being Garage Door Pros. Now, they are located in the southwest corner of Utah, but they serve St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Nevada, also Colorado City, Arizona. And when we talk about Garage Door Pros, I want you to understand, this is a company that will get the job done. They will show up when they say they're going to show up and they will work to your satisfaction. Not that other companies can't, but these guys do it to perfection. Also, the doors that they sell, install, and service are all made in America and they have much quicker lead time that other companies can give you. So if you're looking for quick response, you need commercial applications or residential applications for garage doors, including insulated garage doors, go to garagedoorproservices.com. Now, there's a link in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. That's Garage Door Pros. Call them at 435-525-2773. Let them know that their message is reaching your ears. I don't know very many people who would aspire to being called a country bumpkin. Frankly, if you called me that, it might just hurt my feelings a little bit. But when I look at the contempt of the ruling class and many within the mainstream media for the country folk, you know, it's it's crazy how much they really dislike people who are out there in flyover country. And I think it's, it's not so much a matter of, well, because they vote for Trump or they're wearing a MAGA hat. Not everybody is. But I think it has more to do with their self-reliance, their can-do attitude, and, of course, their ability to remain rooted in reality, regardless of what's fashionable right now, you know, in the urban areas. Got a great article here from Dr. Richard Moss, which makes a good argument for why country bumpkins will win the day when times get tough. Richard Moss, MD, says, my neighbors hunt. These so-called country bumpkins can survive in the forests, hills, lakes and rivers here in Indiana. He says they understand the world of nature, its vicissitudes and barbarism, appreciating its transcendent beauty and cadences. They also accept its fierce cruelties. Now, he makes a very important distinction here. These country bumpkins do not worship nature. Rather, they seek reconciliation with it, desiring that their loved ones may endure and be protected. So they admire the natural world, its towering majesty and microscopic complexity, but their admiration is a realistic appraisal of nature and its vagaries. And he says it's these country bumpkins, these hicks and rubes that society refers to as deplorables, the ones clinging to their Bibles and guns. 
But what many don't realize is that when push comes to shove, it's these deplorables that will win that day, or will win the day, rather, as society declines. Now, Richard Moss says, coming from the Bronx, I was acquainted with riding the subway or bus or navigating the busy, often treacherous streets of New York. I learned how to survive in the city, but I knew nothing of hunting, fishing, or surviving in nature, for coastal elites have, di- have disdain for those schooled in such things. He says, coastal elites assume that food, water, and other necessities and amenities just appear. They lack awareness of the complex grids, structures, and platforms that maintain their comforts. They don't understand the sources of electricity which power their computers and air conditioning, nor the gasoline that fuels their cars. Furthermore, they do not appreciate those who make these daily secular miracles of electronic civilization possible. The country bumpkins, however, do understand these things. Now, as an example, he says, look, many Hoosiers preserve food, some steam or pressure can, dehydrate, pickle, freeze-dry, smoke, or salt items. And because they're farming experts, they know how to cope with caterpillars, aphids, and cutworms, while also guarding against hedgehogs, fungi, and lack of rain. He says some of these country bumpkins have gas tanks and generators. They have water filters, propane stoves, purifying tablets, first aid kits, pickup trucks, drills, hammers, and wrenches. They can repair a car, a machine, or a leaking pipe. And yes, they also know how to install Wi-Fi, use computers, navigate the Internet, and operate smartphones. These country bumpkin neighbors of mine have guns and ammunition, defenders of the Second Amendment. Many are veterans, well-trained individuals who served in the National Guard or law enforcement. They have shotguns, bolt-action rifles, AR-10s, and other semi-automatics. They own handguns and an array of ammunition, including expanding home defense rounds. He says, these country bumpkins use their knowledge of firearms to hunt duck, quail, and deer. They have night vision devices, tree stands, bows, arrows, camouflage, trail cameras, scents, GPS devices, and two-way radios. Floating down a river or walking the fields, they recognize the rhythms of the animals they track and pursue. Their migration and trail patterns driven by the weather, mating seasons, and food sources. Some love to fish. Equipped with bait, rods, reels, nets, and spears, they cast for bluegill, catfish, and carp. He says, in essence, these country bumpkins know and can navigate a completely different world from the city dwellers who look down on them. City dwellers only know how to get their food from a grocery store or an online ordering service. They're ignorant of nature, although some worship it in a paganistic way, but would abhor it if they actually had to live in it. Global warming concerns these city dwellers, though none would change their lifestyle to reduce their carbon footprint. He says they're uninformed of historical climate patterns, the solar cycles that drive the weather, the ice ages and interglacial periods that occurred well before the Industrial Age. They blindly accept the panicked prediction of global climate models, not bothering to investigate whether they're flawed. Hunters, fishermen, food preservers, and preppers do not idolize the environment. They just respect it. Such people, often blue-collar workers, the farmers, oil workers, mechanics, and coal miners, make the lives of the urbanites possible. They provide them with power, goods, food, and water that they may live and sneer. He says these metropolitans, gentry liberals, and globalists dwell in leftist coastal ecosystems, having their opinions confirmed daily by everyone around them, 
predictable and conformist, they hilariously imagine themselves wild and free and look down at those who know so much of nature and can live and flourish in the wild. But if the power grid went down from a solar event or an EMP device or the economy collapsed, the denizens of flyover country would survive. The sophisticated urbanites, not so much. They would soon realize their clever turns of phrase, condescending smirks, allegiance to diversity, abortion, and rejection of God would mean nothing before the fury of nature and nature's God. Their fatal conceits would vanish in terrified moments as nature delivered its cruel blows. Their high-minded rhetoric, progressive orthodoxy, navel-gazing, and self-absorption would absolve before the acid rain of Gaia's indifferent wrath. The financiers, media types, and hip Marxist professors would not do well. The anointed ones, the ruling class, and the other pompous visionaries would descend to savagery in a war of all against all. But he says the country bumpkins would get by. Some may not even blink an eye, for they already anticipated this and spent their lives preparing. In the COVID age, with the economy and other societal fixtures crumbling, the rootless cosmopolitans may want to reconsider their contempt for the country bumpkins. What is certain is that our elites, cloistered in liberal ghettos amongst fellow members of the chattering class, would not survive without the welders, assembly line workers, and equipment operators. Dr. Richard Moss says they should thank those whom they refer to as hicks, rubes, and deplorables. But he says, don't hold your breath. I find it ironic. He's writing about uh, Indiana, particularly. And it was just over this weekend that uh, apparently some misguided 20-year-old young man took a rifle into a mall in uh, in Indiana. I, I don't remember the exact name of the town. I apologize for that. But um, he apparently went and sequestered himself in the bathroom for a little while, came out with a rifle, and just started shooting people. Killed three people, wounded two others, before he was shot dead by a 22-year-old young man who was carrying a concealed firearm. Now, it was really interesting to watch the press conference on this, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to try and make it like, God, it was cool, man, it's shootout right there in the mall. You know, it was, it's a very somber and tragic event. But I was struck by how appreciative the police, the sheriff's department, the state police, the, the mayor, even the, the uh, management of the mall, which apparently has signs posted, no weapons allowed, how appreciative they were of this 22-year-old young man who's had no police or military training, but managed to take out an active shooter quickly. And every one of those public officials who was commenting on this at the press conference and taking lots of questions, you know, from the press, well, wasn't it illegal for this guy to have a gun? Wasn't it, you know, <clears throat> they were just trying to find some reason to believe that uh, it was a bad thing that this shooting spree was stopped. And every one of those public officials made it very clear, this young man saved numerous lives by being prepared and by being able and willing to act when it was needed. Now, I'm not trying to feed anybody's Rambo fantasies. Frankly, most people I know who do concealed carry, they're, they're not uh, suffering from Rambo delusions in the first place. That's a projection that anti-gunners like to put on them. But I will point out, it was in Indiana, you know, the uh, flyover country, the land of the rubes and the hicks, but thank goodness there was a young man who was prepared and willing to step up and actually managed to accomplish what 400 cops at Uvalde, Texas were not able to do. I don't know, but I find that kind of impressive. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out here for HSLAmmo.com. That would be my friend Spencer Worthington and his marvelous ammo company. I include a link in my show notes. I hope you'll click on it. See for yourself. He offers high quality new and remanufactured ammunition. Always a good thing to have, especially good if you are developing skill at arms. That's ammo is how you convert skill into money. I think uh, Boston Tea Party is the one who, who made that observation and it still rings true after many, many years. So a couple different things I want to cover here in the uh, closing moments of the hour. Um, first of all, I came across this great uh, discussion of the five D's. This is from Charles Burris. This was posted on lourockwell.com. And I don't know if you ever find yourself wondering, how is it that so many Americans have become either complicit or just apathetic to what's going on around them to the point where they really don't know what to think? And, and if you try to point out, hey, this is why things are serious or this is why we need to to anticipate you know, there's some some serious challenges approaching. You know, a lot of people are just, oh, what? I don't see it. I think you're being paranoid, or I think you're, I think you're just caught up in uh, this uh, this conspiracy theory. I think that's the that's the popular dismissal. But there's a simple method that has been used by people within government as well as their uh, accomplices in the regime media to keep the American people in the dark. And it's a decades-long process. It's called the five Ds. Number one, keep them dumb. Government purposely dumbing down the population through public education. A dumb population is easy to control. That's why all the kids are much more focused on climate change than they are on, you know, government stealing their future from them and working to enslave them. Number two, keep them drugged. Government lifting anti-drug laws, both legal and illegal, in order to work toward drugging a population. A drugged population is easy to control. Now, look, I believe that there are some laws, I believe prohibition, for that matter, is a very bad idea. At the same time, read Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and you'll find that, you know, that's one of the, the major things that kept the people in power in power was the fact that there were drugs to keep people's minds, you know, medicated to the point they really couldn't think or feel independently. Number three, keep them dependent. Government doing its level best to get that hypodermic needle of dependency into the arm of the population. And not just individuals on welfare, but businesses too. Because a dependent population is easy to control. The fourth D is keep them disarmed. It just goes without saying that a population without ready access to a means to fight tyranny are much easier to control. Just look at some of the lockdown shenanigans in Australia, Canada, and even uh, New Zealand. You'll see. I mean, they, they literally were taking people to camps. That never seems to end well, no matter how well-intentioned it may be, you know, initially. And the fifth D is destroy the family. Take out dads and you destroy the family. And government has fostered race warfare and division as a means to keep the population pitted against itself. So there you have it, the five Ds of keeping the American populace undermined over the course of decades. And I guess the reason I share this with you is just so you can be aware. 
maybe ask yourself every so often, is this, you know, just an attempt to kind of keep me under the spell of this expert or that expert? Something to think about. I also wanted to touch on this uh, just because I'm seeing more and more um, where I live in Idaho. Um, apparently, there, there has been a shift in the GOP party leadership. And it's a, it's a good shift. Dorothy Moon is the new GOP chair. She is a wonderful lady. She's been a state legislator. I met her actually a few years ago while covering the Bundy's trial down in Las Vegas. But you should see the hysteria on the part of various newspapers and television stations and commentators. And, and some of these people who are hysterical are the old guard GOP establishment. Oh, the extremists have taken over. And, oh, you know. and, and one of the big disqualifying things that they like to throw at her is, well, she thinks that she believes the big lie. She believes that there was election fraud in 2020. And, and the mantra that they always repeat, this is the official uh, talking point that has gone out to mainstream media and legacy media and its, uh, its sycophants is there's no wide there's no evidence rather of widespread election fraud. Now they're very careful in choosing that word. There's no evidence of widespread fraud. But what about the other fraud? All I know is legacy media right now is circling the wagons on the subject of potential election fraud in the 2020 election. And uh, Eric Ledrum, Lendrum rather, I've linked an article that he wrote, and actually he links to a, a specific study that offers 21 different confirmed illegalities and irregularities that cast doubt on the integrity of that 2020 election. Now, I got to make it clear here. I'm not saying, hey, we need to drop everything and make Donald Trump president right now. That's not going to solve most of the problems. But if nothing else, it will point out that there's a very good reason not to trust those who insist that, well, there was no evidence of widespread fraud. Because it's never been fully sussed out. And even those people like Dinesh D'Souza with his uh, 2000 Mules film, who have gone in and looked at things and said, wow, look how questionable this is. You, know, you find even opposition on the right. Fox News won't touch 2000 Mules. I don't know why. I don't believe it's because, well, there's, you know, nothing to it. So I'm not stumping, you know, the boy, we need Donald Trump and we need him as president right now. But isn't it interesting, the people who cried, election fraud, election fraud, Russia did this, Russia got him in business, or got him in, in office, you know, about Trump being elected in 2016. These are the very same people insisting, no, demanding that you and I ask no questions about whether or not everything was on the up and up for the 2020 election. I still say there are more questions than, than answers on this. And if that means, well, are you saying that you have doubts that uh, the, uh, the election system can be trusted? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And if it can't be trusted, well, that's kind of a dangerous place to be. So maybe it's something we should make a priority out of sorting out. If the truth is really on your side, show the transparency. Put, put it all out there. Let it all be examined. Let the chips fall where they may, but that's not allowed which is a pretty strong indicator that, uh, hey, something here is not right. What, what was it Shakespeare said? Methinks she doth protest too much. I think we're seeing a lot of that in regards to the 2020 election. Now, to be fair, I don't put that much faith in elections generally because I kind of feel like they're a reassurance ritual. 
But for people who in good faith go and study the issues or study the candidates and go out there to cast their votes, I think they might want to know that uh, that at least there's an honest accounting for those votes as opposed to, you know, stuffing ballot boxes and, and uh, electronic manipulation. It's not a matter of, we need Trump. It's a matter of, if the people who are running these election systems, and that includes a lot of Republican officials too, if they're not uh, being honest and forthright, then essentially they can, they can rig whatever result they want and use that to justify increasing their power and their control over the rest of us to infinity. That's not the proper role of government. All right, one final note here. I'm going to just shift gears one more time. We've got this continuing, ongoing push for COVID boosters and vaccinations. To me, this is fascinating when you consider that uh, even in the very heavily vaccinated populations like Singapore and, and New Zealand, COVID cases and hospitalizations and even deaths are off the charts. By the way, their masks are mandated. They are very, very strict. Anybody indoors, they ought to be wearing a mask. So it seems clear that something isn't working. And I've got an article linked here from John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education. Very detailed article. The headline, Natural Immunity Offered More Protection Against Omicron Than Three Vaccine Doses. That's according to the New England Journal of Medicine and a study that they did. Importantly, he says, the Cornell Cornell University-funded study found that both natural immunity and vaccines offer strong and durable protection against hospital or rather COVID related hospitalization and death. I still don't understand the push to try to get this into kids who statistically are very, very low risk for contracting COVID or contracting any of the really negative effects. I understand there are some outliers. Typically it's kids with very highly suppressed immune systems or some other comorbidity or something that's operating against them. But I, I still am just shaking my head in disbelief that people are rushing. Well, I got to get my infant vaccinated when we don't know what the long-term effects are going to be. I mean, we, we hope it's all going to be good, right? Nobody's, nobody's wishing for a bad outcome. But the way this is being pushed... And the way that, uh, well, certain doctors, Mr. Fauci, I'm looking your direction, have uh, just miraculously been in a position to enrich themselves beyond imagination, thanks to these vaccines. I just would say I'm a little bit suspicious. Maybe it's just me. This is The Brian Hyde Show.